All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good morning. It's good to see y'all. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible, Scripture Journal. Uh, welcome to City Light. My name is Nate, one of the pastors here. If you are new, we're so glad that you are here this morning. I know the Lord has brought you here for a reason and a purpose and has a word for your life this morning. If you want to connect with us, please don't leave uh, without talking to me after the service. I'll be down front. You can go to our Connect table, uh, which is right in the lobby, and get some information about City Light. We would love to follow up with you uh, and just help you through your faith journey, whatever that may be. And so please get connected. Also, as you see, I'm wearing some of our new swag, all right? It's amazing. Not only does it look good, but all the proceeds go to Young Lives, which is a ministry in the area that supports teen moms. And they do an amazing job of blessing them and caring for them, and most importantly, presenting Jesus to them. And so go uh, rep City Life Swag, serve some teen moms in that way. We'd love for you uh, to join us in that. Uh, as we prepare to jump into Habakkuk, I uh, just wanted to first of all address uh, the recent restrictions and just to give clarity on, on what's happening. So obviously the governor put out um, restrictions yesterday. And just to be clear, uh, the restrictions that were put out do not apply to churches or schools or uh, things like that. So uh, the rule that churches are still operating by per the governor is 50% capacity, um, which is what we're able to continue to do here in this room. Uh, and so just so you know, um, that's the current regulation. And so we are abiding by that regulation. And we can continue to have services as is, for now at least, according to uh, the current restrictions that are in place. So I just wanted to be clear on that. We sent out an email if you don't get our emails, uh, that would be super helpful. You can email us at info at wearecitylight.org just to get updated information on how we are um, doing things. I also want to be clear that when you see something happen, like uh, a news update or whatever, like happened yesterday, you get an article, everybody passes it around, just so you can know, assume nothing changes unless you hear from us. Okay, that will be a good baseline to say, like, we're obviously keeping tabs on all of this. Uh, and so if we need to adjust according to the regulations, then we will certainly make that clear to you via email, on our website, on our social media. And so you can assume that we are having church unless we say that we are not. Uh, just go ahead and, and assume that. That would help us with the communication process, uh, just to be clear. So we are currently operating under those guidelines. I also just want to clarify, obviously we are continuing to discern what is the best way. You know, like what does wisdom require of us? How can we love our neighbor, glorify God, serve the people of City Light Church? How do we combine all those things together uh, in a way that's right and good, reasonable, safe, all of those things? And so as we continue to say, let's operate according to state guidelines, also at the same time, uh, let's use wisdom and discernment as we seek the Lord as to how to do this best. So if you can pray for us, uh, obviously as leaders, there's a lot to navigate. And so just ask the Lord to give us wisdom. Uh, it seems like things are certainly ramping back up again. Uh, and so we just want the Lord's wisdom to do what he would do. That's all. I just want, we just want to do what Jesus would want us to do. It's as simple as that. Uh, and so give us wisdom in that. So just to clarify our current situation and how we're going to move forward, uh, that is the current setup for us. And so if you have any questions, feel free to email me or something. I'd love to talk you through that some more. So today, uh, week five in our Conversation with God series, we're in chapter three. Remember, as we've been talking about, Habakkuk's so wonderful and helpful for us, and if you've missed the last four, I encourage you to go find them, podcast, YouTube, because uh, it's a building um, kind of argument. Everything makes sense in light of the previous thing. So today will make the most sense if you have back information from the previous ones, but it also makes sense in and of itself. Uh, but Habakkuk has this conversation with God in the midst of a personal national crisis, right? So he looks around him, things are bad, everything's falling apart, people are wicked towards one another, and one of his questions, right, is, God, why don't you do something? 
So God answers his question, and then he's like, God, I don't like the answer to that question. Why don't you do something else? So God answers that, and he has this conversation with God with the questions that you and I have. It's so helpful to us because these are the things we want to ask God anyway. And so we go to the word of God, and we get some clarity as to how God would answer those questions. Now, how is God working? What is he doing when it doesn't make sense to us? All of these things that we struggle with are that you may have questions now because you're seeking. Like uh, you're seeking the faith. You're trying to figure out what does it mean uh, to follow God. All these things that we are thinking through, Habakkuk gives us great insight into and clarity into what does it look to have a conversation with God. And so we spent the last four weeks answering some of those questions through the book of Habakkuk. Now what we'll learn today and the next week as we close out this series is that Habakkuk has come to the point where he accepts what God has revealed and he moves forward in prayer and in praise. And so many of us could learn just from that simple instruction to say it's really great to ask questions, it's great to pursue the Lord, seek wisdom and understanding. Uh, We will never have all the information that you would like to have. You will never know everything that you would like to know about what God is doing. That will simply never happen because you're not God. And so it's really healthy for us to engage God, to go to him, to seek, to doubt, to question, to seek answers, to try to get understanding through the word of God. Uh, At some point, though, we all have to accept that I trust God, not based off what I see around me, but based off something he's already done. I trust God based off the fact that he's revealed himself in his word, based off the fact that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, die on the cross, and be raised again. He said, if anybody believed in me, that person would have eternal life. Therefore, based off how God has revealed himself, and based off my seeking him now for answers in my current situation, I've gone as far as I can go, and I accept what God is doing, and I now turn to prayer and to praise as I move forward. And so many of you now are in that position where it's simply God is saying, man, accept and pray and praise and move forward, and let's really walk this out together. You will never have all the information that you want, and if you simply ask for that and wait for that forever and ever, it'll be really hard to move forward in your relationship with God. So here in chapter 3, after dealing with really hard, raw, good questions, which are really good and helpful, which you should do, he gets answers from the Lord that don't answer everything, but that gives some clarity as to what the Lord is doing. He accepts it, and now he moves on. So Habakkuk chapter 3, that's what we're doing today. Technically, it's 1 through 16. I'm going to focus on these first two verses because I really think the Lord has a word for us from them today. So this is what he says in verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigioneth, verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember your mercy. This is it, guys. This is it. For us to say and to have the same prayer as Habakkuk, as God's people gathered here in this place to seek his will, to seek his glory, to join Habakkuk to say, Lord, I've heard of what you've done. I've, seen, I've heard it in the scriptures. I've heard of what you've done in history. I've heard that you do these amazing sea-parting, resurrecting type of things. So would you do that in my time? Would you do that in my city? Would you do that in my house? Would you do that in my heart? Would you do that in my neighborhood? Would you do that in my family, in my friend circle? Would you do that in my time? I have heard of you. I want to see it. Would you do that now in our city, our church, our day, in our time? 
This is the heart cry of anybody who wants to love and follow Jesus to say, Lord, I don't want to live just based off what I've heard about it. I want to see it firsthand to see a revival, to see the Lord do amazing things, to see the Lord bring awakening, life transformation in my city, in my home, in my country, in the world. I want to see it in my time. And for us as a people of God to desire that, to earnestly seek after that. Let me give you a quote. Uh, Scott's name is Jim Simbla. It's from Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I'm going to reference a ton of stories and books today because we're going to do a little bit of seeing what God has done before. I think this will be helpful and instructive for you. So if you write down these references, I think you'll be helped by them. But he has this quote. He runs this ministry in New York. He said this, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. Carol, who is his wife, and I didn't want merely to mark time. I longed and I cried to God to change everything, to change me, to change the church, to change our passion for people, to change our praying. One day I told the Lord I would rather die than merely tread water throughout my ministry, always preaching about the power of the word and the spirit, but never seeing it. I abhorred the thought of just having more church services. I hungered for God to break through in our lives and our ministry. I think that's right. I think that's the heart that God's people should be seeking after to say, I'm hungering for God to break through, and I abhor the thought of just going through the routine of my supposed Christian life, and I want God to do more than I could ever ask or imagine and to break through in my life, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my church, and in my city. This is what we're after. So the first question for us, so many of us, is do we really long for this, you know? Do we burn for this? Does this drive your heart as a follower of Christ to see these kinds of things happen? And so in light of the text and in light of how God's working then and how God wants to work now, the sermon today, it's on the screen, it's called The Arrival of Revival. The Arrival of Revival. In the ESV version in this text, it says revive it, revive it. Repeat it is what the one that we read. Repeat it. Revive it. Bring it uh, to pass. Make it come alive, you know. Revive the work here, now, right in front of me. And the question for us now is, that's our prayer. We want to see God transform this city. That's why we came here. We didn't come here just to run church services again. We came here to run church services that honor the Lord and that bless the city and that catalyze a group of people to go bless the city. That's what we came here to do. And for us to say, Lord, what does it look like to be a part of you bringing revival to Falls Church, to Annandale, to the DMV? What does it look like for us to be a part of that? The question for us is how can we, so to speak, build the altar for God to bring the fire? That's our duty. Say, we cannot save souls or change hearts or repair brokenness. We can't do that. It's simply impossible. God can, so we ask him to do it. Now, what is our role in this? How can we participate in this? And something I want us to think about is that it's time not to settle in, but to lean in. This is so important for us as we continue to think about God's work here in this church, here in this city, as we look back over the last year and say, wow, God, like even where we are, I can't believe we're even in this space. You've done some amazing things. We've seen people get saved, lives changed. We've seen this with our eyes. It's been amazing. Thank you, Lord, for that. The disposition of most hearts would be to settle in and to say, oh, this is great. Let me enjoy it. And I want us to say, let's lean in and say, thank you, Lord, for all of that. But now I'm looking for 10 times more. Because why not? If God can do all of that in a year, what could God do in 10 years? If God could do all of that through this group of people, what could he do through adding more people who love the Lord? What could God do? And for us to lean in, to say, wow, this has been great. Thank you, all praise and honor. And I lean in to say, if you did that, then you can do so much more. So I'm going to keep asking. 
and for all of us to have that disposition and that spirit. This is so important. So as we think through wanting to see God really change hearts, to save souls, to bring transformation, not to just play church or to be religious or any of that, but real life change in people's hearts and people's homes and people's cities, how does that happen? Well, the first part that's important for us, like what is our role in that, is number one, you should write this down, that it starts in the heart. The first aspect of any great work of God, any great work to change really things around us, any great work even in our own lives, is that it starts in the heart. I'm going to give you a couple quotes from this book. It's called Movements That Change the World. It's a great book. I would highly recommend it. All the things I'm going to quote today, I would highly recommend. These things I think are important for really every follower of Christ to learn and to read because it inspires you and it reminds you of all the things God is able to do. And you're like, wow, if God can do that, then surely he can do this. And part of my goal today is to inspire us and to raise our expectations to say, you don't think God can do enough. Your expectations of what God can do are too small. So are mine. And let's hear from the word of God and let's raise our expectations to say, wow, God, you can do more than I ever thought. So it starts in the heart. Let me give you a couple quotes from this book, Movements That Change the World. It says, church history is not made by well-financed, well-resourced institutions. History is made by men and women of faith who have met with the living God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so the first step there is, man, it's not institutions, fundraising initiatives, good strategies, whiteboards, smart people. No, no, no. Those are not the people that change the world. The people that change the world are men and women who have a passion for God. Men and women who meet with the living God through Jesus Christ, who have a relationship with God, who don't just practice religion. Men and women who have an encounter with the living God and who love him and devote their lives to him. That is the place where history is made, which is why it starts in the heart. Let me give you another quote. You could run an institution with systems of command and control, but Jesus founded a movement, not an institution. He brought his followers into the same experience he had with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Then he sent them to the ends of the earth with nothing but the message of salvation and the reality of God's power. And here's the sentence. A passionate faith is at the heart of every dynamic missionary movement. It is the greatest resource. Look at that. What's the greatest resource of City Light Church? Your faith. Your faith. Your relationship with God. What's the greatest resource of any God-transforming work anywhere? It starts with a man or a woman or a group of people that are zealous for the things of God. Oh, that love of the Lord, that pursue him on their own, that are devoted to him with their thoughts and their time and their energy, that meet with the living God on a consistent basis, that hear from him in his word, that are burdened, that there's lost people separated from God forever, that it drives them nuts, that when people die apart from Jesus, they spend eternity in hell as punishment for their sins. And the only way out of that is trusting in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I have to get this message out. People that love the word of God, that wake up early or do whatever it takes to get in the word of God. People that are zealous for the presence of God, that pursue knowing him, loving him, seeing him, being with him. A group of people that desire holiness, that work hard with the power of the spirit to pursue holiness and follow Christ's commands. A group of people that expect supernatural things and are not at all surprised when those things happen. It's that group of people or just one man or one woman that God uses to change things. So it doesn't matter 
how much money you have. It doesn't matter how important you think you are. It doesn't matter how much influence you think you have. It doesn't matter what your skill sets are. It doesn't matter how much charisma you have. It doesn't matter how many resources you have. Those are not in the equation. The greatest resource of anything God wants to do is a man or a woman or a group of them that are passionate for him. That's all it takes. You hear me? That's all it takes. And so now for you to say, I want to see the Lord change things, I need to foster passion for Jesus. I need to foster a devotion to him. I need to spend more time exercising my devotion to him than working on my skill set. It is the passion that is the greatest resource. And for us to say, it starts in the heart. If we want to see God do great things here, it's not going to be because we strategized well, planned well, whiteboarded well, raised enough money. All those things are important. They're not non-essential, but they're not the things that move the needle. It's going to be because you guys and each one of us decided to foster a passion for Jesus. It's going to start in the heart, which is why I say all the time, bring your brick. This thing does not move forward, just good leadership or good work. This thing moves forward and real stuff happens when each one of you decides to foster that relationship with God, to bring your brick, to use what God has given you in your spheres of influence, and then God blesses that and brings revival and a work of God on it. You have to believe that because if you don't buy into what God wants to do in your life, you will hinder the work of God in the community around you. God wants to use you. He wants to use the things you're insecure about. He wants to use the things you're afraid of. He wants to use the very things that you think prevent you from being used by God. He wants to take your weaknesses and reveal his strength. He wants to take your insecurities and reveal his power. Right? And he wants to honor your devotion and your love to him. To say it was never about you in the first place, what you bring to the table, how much you think you have. No, 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 no. No, man, God wants to bless and use your life simply based off a of passion for Jesus. So it starts in the heart. And if we want to see God do great things, it's not going to be because we strategize well. It's going to be because we sought the Lord. So the second thing is so important for us. The second thing now, as we see here, so it starts in the heart. The next thing is the future of what we hope to see happen is always rooted in the past. This is so important. Look at Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 2 is, hey, God, would you come and do some amazing things? And then verse 3 says that God came. And so he asked for God to come, and he roots his expectation that God would come in the reality that God has already come, that God came. He looks forward into the future, and he sets his expectations based off something that has already happened in the past. Write this down for your life. Future expectation is rooted in past revelation. Hear me, not present situation. The future of your life, please hear me, is not determined by your present situation, present problems, present struggles, present environment. If you look around you and try to chart your course for the future, you will be depressed and despair and struggle. But if you look behind you at what God has already done in Jesus and what God has been doing in your life as a follower of Christ, you will find strength and hope for the future. Look what Habakkuk could do. Remember, his situation's terrible. National crisis, personal crisis, judgment, wickedness, bad leadership. All of this is happening around him. And if he looks around him and says, man, I wonder what the future's going to be, it would just be dark and gloomy and terrible. Because based off his present situation, he had no reason to hope. But when he looks backwards and says, well, God, if you came before and you delivered your people and you showed up and did amazing things, then God, would you come again? So where does he find his hope? 
backwards. So we're, you have to hear this, right? So many of you are trying to find your hope for the future and working out your present. And God says, no, that's not the main focus. The way to find hope for your future is to look backwards on what God has already done in the past. The way to have future expectation is past revelation, not present situation. And so many of you are struggling now because your present situation is terrible, it's dark, it's gloomy, and it doesn't look good. And probably for most of us that's true because it's 2020 and it's the worst year in human history, right? And so now to say for a lot of us, we look around our present situation, if we were to chart a course for the future just based off of 2020, we would have a real hard time being excited about the future. But if we were to look back 2,000 years ago at a cross and an empty grave, we'd find a lot of hope. That's true for you in your life, you know? If you just look in your home, if you look in your present circumstances, you look at your body, your health, you look at these things and you say, I, I don't know how to look into the future because my present is dark, so the future must be dark. And God says, stop measuring future expectation from present situation and start looking at past revelation. Think about your own life, you know? If you're a follower of Jesus for any time, man, you've already seen him be so faithful. Right? You've already seen him express love and devotion to you. You've seen him lead you through certain things. And now you look all the way back on his death and resurrection that sealed your hope for salvation in heaven in the future. And you say, okay, 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 okay. Habakkuk's situation was bad, but he had hope. How did he have hope? By looking to the past to get hope for the future not his present. Future expectation is rooted in past revelation, not your present situation. You should take that to the bank and live your life by it so that you can have hope. God wants to give you hope this morning. God wants to give you encouragement in 2020. God wants to give you hope for the future now. Now. Not because the present looks great, but because God has revealed himself as faithful in the past. So set your expectation for the future, not on your present situation, but on past revelation. So as we see that principle laid out, this is what Habakkuk does. He goes backwards. So verse 3, he says, God came from Timon, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. There he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence. Plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. What is he remembering? That may sound like weird, old, random language. Let me tell you what he's remembering. He's remembering the deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt, getting the word of God on the commandments on Mount Sinai with Moses, coming down and then being revealed and led by God through the wilderness, through Edom, and all the way into the promised land. He's remembering how God delivered his people and brought them out into the promised land. He's remembering what happens when God shows up. He's remembering something in the past. When God shows up, his splendor covers the heavens. When God shows up, the earth is full of his praise. When God shows up, his brightness is like light. When God shows up, these amazing things happen, both with judgment and salvation. He stands over the earth and measures the earth. When he shows up, the nations shake. When God shows up, the things that appear everlasting, the mountains are scattered and they sink low, but the ways of God are everlasting. When God shows up, this is what that looks like. And so he remembers what happens when God shows up and he says, God, as you have come, would you come again? And that is where he sets his hope. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to look back on some of the ways God has worked, not only in the scriptures, but in history 
as a way to rev up hope and inspiration for what God might do in the future for us. There are so many things for us to talk about. You, there are people who write books and books about this. And so I encourage you to inspire your heart by continuing this study. But I'm going to give you a few examples today. Now, the main sentence for us in terms of playing our role in God to bring revival, to bring repentance, to bring life change, transformation in our hearts, our homes, and our cities, our role is summarized by this. We must pursue an extraordinary commitment to ordinary acts of obedience. You need to write that down. We must pursue an extraordinary commitment to ordinary acts of obedience. Okay? This is where it gets really necessary for us to have good theology to say we are not revival seekers and we are not seeking some experience of Christ. We're not seeking that. We're committed to ordinary acts of obedience because that is the means by which God has promised to bring revival. So if we want God to do amazing things, we pray for it or we ask for it, but the thing we seek every day is the things God has already laid out for us. And we become extraordinarily committed to these things as a means by which God would bless and bring extraordinary fruit. This is so important because we overlook the very basic things that God has already asked us to do, and then we wonder why he doesn't do great things when God wants you to be committed to what you think is small so that he can do something big. See what I'm saying? If you attempt to do something big without doing the things that are small, all glory be to you. Good job. But if you do the things that seem small and insignificant and are unnoticed by anybody but God, and then God blesses it, all glory be to God. This is the way he's made it. And so we seek God to do big, great things by being committed to everyday small things. That's how it works. And so you seek it, you pray for it, but you commit yourself to these very basic things that we think are ordinary, and that's the stuff that God blesses. Let me give you a quote. This book is uh, called uh, Jesus Continued. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's by J.D. Greer, another reference. If you're a reader at all, I encourage you to really jump into these. So he said this, In an awakening, the Spirit of God does not typically do a new thing. He simply pours greater power upon normal things faithful Christians are already doing. Prayers become more intense. Worship becomes more joyous. Repentance becomes more sorrowful. The preached word yields a greater effect. The Spirit of God multiplies the effectiveness of our normal work of seed planting, bringing about a bountiful harvest. And get this, he does more in a moment than we can accomplish in a lifetime. So what is an awakening? What happens? It's simply God pouring out extraordinary power on our ordinary acts of obedience. And for us to be extraordinarily committed to those things as a means of building the altar for God to bring the fire. We talk about this all the time, especially in our basic training and all of that. Sometimes we overcomplicate what does it mean to be a Christian and to follow Jesus. And what I want us to do here at City Light is to be very, very, very good. To master the basics and not overcomplicate things by playing off into this other field when we haven't even learned how to pray. Right? You want to debate some theological argument and you haven't learned how to pray. It's like, let's do that. Let's pray. And we'll figure out the other stuff later. And so there's three basic things that you need to, be a, to walk with Jesus in a way that will honor him. It's prayer, reading the Bible, and evangelism. And if God's people are committed to these three very simple, ordinary things, extraordinarily committed, God's going to bring some extraordinary fruit. So prayer, reading the Bible, and evangelism. We at City want to be a people who master these basic disciplines. So number one, prayer. What I'm going to do for each example is give you a snippet of a story of an outbreaking of the Holy Spirit and a revival that was connected to this activity. 
uh, to show you what that would look like. So prayer, uh, the revival for this, there was a great revival in New York in the mid-1800s. It was called the Fulton Street Revival. Uh, a lot been written on it. I found a short summary I'd like to read to you to kind of explain it. So here it is. In 1857, there were 30,000 men idle on the streets of New York. Drunkenness was rampant. The nation was divided by slavery. God raised up a praying businessman, Jeremiah Lanfear. On September 23, 1857, he began a noontime prayer meeting on Fulton Street in the financial district of Manhattan. Out of a city of one million people, six people showed up a half an hour late. So that's a great start to your prayer meeting. If anybody has ever tried to run a prayer meeting, I'm surprised he waited half an hour. I would have been gone by then and said, this prayer meeting is unsuccessful. So good for him. So six people show up. That's very discouraging. The group decided to meet the next week, and they had 14. Cool. The next week, there were 23. The following week, there were 40. Within weeks, there were thousands of business leaders meeting daily to pray. God moved so powerfully, get this, that the prayer meeting spread across the nation. It is estimated that nearly one million people were converted out of a national population of 35 million, including 10,000 weekly conversions in New York City. you like, this stuff really happens. Can you imagine if 10,000 people came to know church, came to know Christ every week here in Falls Church? The whole city would be saved, and it wouldn't take very long. This would be amazing to say, 10,000... To say, okay, okay, okay. One man, one man. What's the greatest resource of this? One million people got saved, okay? What was the greatest resource that led to one million people got saved? Was there a good fundraising campaign, a good strategy, a bunch of churches come together to work out something? No, 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 no. One man with a passion for God. Who had an extraordinary commitment to pray. And then God blessed it. And whew, the spirit worked. See what I'm saying? One man. The greatest resource was his faith and his commitment to pray. So we say around here all the time at City Light, we say prayer is the work. You say it, we say it almost every week, something we say consistently. Our core value number two is that we are dependent on prayer. And I just want to remind you, this is not a slogan. This is not Christianese. This is not just some phrase that religious people say. No, 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 no. We really genuinely believe from the bottom of our heart that the thing that should take most of our time, attention, and energy, the thing that actually moves the ball forward, the thing that changes things, the thing that actually helps people, the thing that saves souls and gives wisdom, that thing that drives the mission is prayer. We believe it from the bottom of our hearts to say prayer is the work, which is why we consistently are helping lead you in it. This is why we want you to do this personally, in your family, at your home, in your lighthouse. One of the things we do here is just try to create prayer in our rhythm. So I want to invite you to something we do every Thursday night called Restore. We meet at 6.30, and we simply seek the Lord. No agenda. We have some songs ready and some scriptures ready, and we're just after the Lord. To say, like, Lord, let's pray. Let's come together and seek your face, and let's ask for you to work in amazing ways. And I firmly believe, this is no exaggeration, that more work and more fruit will come out of that prayer meeting than all the things we've strategized to execute. I really believe that. I'm not just saying that. And we should do both, honestly. We should do both. But to say, let's really believe that when we gather to pray, God is doing more things than we could accomplish on our own through all our plans and all our work. Prayer is the work. Every Sunday here at 9 a.m., there's a prayer meeting running during the service. So as a way for you to serve or be involved, we'd love to invite you to that. It's right here in the room behind the sanctuary. Every Sunday morning, 9 a.m., to ask the Lord to work and do amazing supernatural things in our service. 
Uh, every year, we begin the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, which is going to come up soon. And all these things that we do to try to structure prayer into the life of the church is because we believe that this is the thing that actually saves, changes, and does what God wants it to do. So you have to believe that in your own life. You have to believe that in your own home. You have to believe that in your own workplace, in your own school, to say, if I devote myself to prayer, if I have a passion and a zeal for God, and I channel that zeal for God into prayer, not only to God in worship, but for the city and for my family and for my neighbors, that God's going to take that, and it's going to be my greatest resource. So prayer, we must devote ourselves to prayer. That's how we build the altar. The second thing we devote ourselves to is Bible reading, knowing the word of God. One of my favorite um, old-time, you know, missionary saints, his name is William Tyndale, uh, and he was key to what is called the Reformation. And so what happened in the mid-1500s um, time was, you know, Martin Luther and all these guys, they're fighting against Catholicism and the Pope and the stranglehold that they have on religious life. Uh, and the fact that they're not actually teaching what the Bible teaches, which is that great salvation comes by grace alone through faith alone, not by any works or pope. Salvation comes through Jesus, and that's it. And so now for them to say, okay, how can we release this to the masses? One of the things that made it a stronghold in the area was that people didn't have access to the Bible in their language, particularly in English. So William Tyndale came along, and he translated the Bible into English, made it through all the New Testament and did part of the Old Testament. And then he gave his life to getting that Bible uh, accessible to common, everyday people. This is what he gave his life to. He was burned at the stake for it, by the way. It cost him his whole life. But you know what he knew? was that if I can get people reading the Bible, not because it's a great book, but because it's the very word of God breathing onto them, if I can get people to open this thing and read it, then revolution will break out. He knew it. And you know what happened? Yeah, I love this quote from William Tyndale, okay? He's writing the Bible. They're fighting against him. Obviously, they don't want him to do this. And he told the Pope straight to his face, he said this, if God will spare my life many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. I was like, that's my, some like gangster Christian stuff right there, you know? He's the OG of, well, he's like, yo, come on now. It's like a threat, you know, it's the greatest threat ever, you know, like God's going, woo. So he said, listen, I'm going to take all these people that are following your heretical teaching and don't know any better, I'm going to put the Bible in their hands, and they're going to know the scriptures better than you do, and this is going to change things. And it did. You know what happened after the Reformation was pretty much an entire revolution took place across Europe and has happened for the last 500 years. And what we know about Christianity and salvation through grace alone in faith was largely part catalyzed and renewed in that movement so that we enjoy the fruit of the work that that man did. Part of his work to translate the Bible turned into what we call the King James Version, which was translated in the 1600s, the King James Version, which is used, uh, the language that's used in the King James Version helps us now even translate some of the words we'd want to say even more modern speaking now in 2020. And so many of the words that you read in your current version of the Bible are words that William Tyndale wrote 500 years ago. And to say now, to say, okay, 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 okay. The Bible revolutionizes cities and, up and, and like upheaves all the systems of the world. It tears down all of these things. And those of you who have been walking with the Lord know how the Bible has revolutionized your life. 
you could give personal testimony to that to say, wow, the Lord has revealed Jesus to me. The Lord speaks to me, and the Bible works on me in ways I don't even understand. The Bible is the thing that changes things around us. And if we devote ourselves to Bible reading and Bible teaching, we trust that God will take those little pieces that we put on the altar. And as we open the Bible at home, as we open the Bible on a Sunday morning, as we open the Bible in our groups during the week, as we open the Bible with friends and family, we open the Bible, we build the altar, and God brings the fire. Right? So if you want the fire of God in your life, read your Bible. If you want God to speak to you in your life, read your Bible. If you want to have wisdom to know what you ought to do, read your Bible. If you want to know the way of salvation, read your Bible. The Bible is what changes things. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. Did you love that? So as I unfold the words of God, which is why we're so devoted to teaching through the Bible here at City Lights, because I have nothing to say to you apart from the Bible. Nothing. Nothing. I have nothing to give you apart from what God has said here. This is all I got. This is all I'm bringing to the table every week. So God has said something. I'm going to try to help explain it to you. But I have nothing new, and I have no wisdom or great ideas. But we just say, hey, what does the Bible say, and how can we communicate that? And for you to say, let me devote myself to Bible reading on my own, in my home, with my family. Let me devote myself to sharing the scriptures with my friends and family. Let me devote myself to Bible teaching to say, let's saturate this place in this city with the words of the scriptures. And God will take that. It'll be the altar that we build for him to bring the fire. We must be a people devoted to prayer and to Bible reading because through these two things, God brings revolution, true revolution. Number three, we must be devoted to evangelism. Evangelism, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection for sins, the hope of salvation in his name alone, sharing this good news with as many people as we can. Another revival to speak of, which probably many of you know from your history classes, is called the Great Awakening. Happened here in America. Um, it's an amazing, in London, in London, America. It's an amazing thing where God really broke out the power of the Spirit. So many people were changed, lives were transformed, uh, more people saved in that movement than people really even realized. And so God took this time, this awakening, and He created an outpouring of His Spirit in the mid 1700s. So, what did it look like to be a part of that? What happened to bring that to pass? Well, one of the things that we see is that there was a consistent effort to do evangelism. Namely by these two guys, their names are George Whitfield and John Wesley, and they were the catalyst for much of the work that happened in the Great Awakening through their consistent efforts to share the gospel. So look, I'm going to read you a quote about George Whitfield. It says, wherever there were large open fields around London, wherever there were large bands of idle, church-despising, Sabbath-breaking people gathered together, that's a really funny way to say it, there went Whitfield, and he lifted up his voice. The gospel so proclaimed was listened to and greedily received by hundreds who had never dreamed of even visiting a place of worship. 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, 30,000 were computed, sometimes to have heard him at once. The cause of pure religion beyond doubt was advanced. Souls were plucked from the hand of Satan as brands from the burning. Say, so how did God bring about an awakening like that? Most of it was in part due to a consistent effort to share the gospel. So what does God want to do now through City Light and in this city that he won't do yet because there's not, to the level, a consistent effort to share the gospel? What could God do if every single one of us gave our lives to a consistent effort to share the gospel? What I want you to notice here is so important. That phrase, you probably caught it, hundreds who had never dreamed of visiting a place of worship. 
Now, when people do surveys and stuff now in the last few years about people's religious perspectives, the majority of people now that don't go to church or have any faith say they wouldn't even go to church if there was a national crisis or on holiday. Even in times where we think people are driven to find hope in the church, which I hope many of you are, and I hope you're here today and don't go to church, we love you and we want you to know Jesus. But for us to say, as followers of Jesus, the real work is done out there, not in here. That's where, that's where the real work happens, to really share the gospel and to see lives change, to go be with people who would never dream of coming to church, but for them to meet you, and you, and you, and you, and for them to hear the gospel from you. That's what the key root of revival is. And for us to come together on a Sunday and be encouraged to share the gospel. If you're here and you don't know the gospel, man, that's the good news. As I've said a hundred times, that Jesus loves you, that he made you, that our sin has separated us from him, which is the greatest problem on earth. But because he loves you, he came to die for you and to pay for your sins. And he was raised from the dead. And he says, if anybody would just believe in me, that person would have eternal life. This is the good news of the world. This is what we give ourselves to. If you're here today and you do not know that good news, God wants to deliver that to you so that you could repent and be saved this very moment in your seat talking to God you don't need a pastor or a pope or a religious professional you just need the good news of the gospel and so you can be saved even in this moment and for us to give ourselves to this Romans 1 16 says I am not ashamed of the gospel why because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes and those of you my brothers and sisters in Christ I really want to challenge you do we really believe this do you live every day as if this was true? That the gospel, in and of itself, shared by your afraid and awkward words, but the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And if people don't hear the gospel and don't believe in Jesus, the Bible teaches us that the punishment for sin is a separation from God forever in a place called hell. And if we don't deliver the gospel to them, how will they know there's a way out? You see what I'm saying? We have to be burdened for that. It has to bother you. It's got to keep you awake at night. It's got to bother us to say this unacceptable, unacceptable, and I will give my life to do everything I can here in this city, in my home, in my family, in my workplace, at my school, in my neighborhood, with my church, in this city that we're serving, around the world. I will do everything that I can to give my life to this one cause, to make Jesus known amongst people who don't know him. To say, and that's where God brings the outpouring of his spirit. To say there's a group of people dedicated to sharing the gospel, not just when the church plans an event here and there, but all the time through their friends and all of this. And God says, I'm going to bless that work with an outpouring of my spirit. Because the gospel is the power of God to save. And for us as followers of Christ to be bothered, very, very bothered and burdened by souls that die every day apart from Christ. This is the work God has called us to. Brothers and sisters, this is it. This is what we live for. So let's believe that, and let's have an extraordinary commitment. Not a sometimes commitment, a here and there commitment, a when it's comfortable commitment, but an extraordinary commitment to share the gospel at all times, as many times as we can, with as many people as we can. Let's build the altar and let God bring the fire. So prayer, Bible reading, and evangelism. If we give ourselves to these things, God shows us and teaches us that he will do extraordinary things through it. And so in light of that, in a lot of our desire to see God do great things, we have some opportunities in front of us to do some amazing work and to do what God has asked us to do. So as I shared uh, a couple months ago, there was a church in the city 
uh, named Veritas that uh, needed some support, and we began to partner with them. And as we began to speak, uh, it seemed very clear that the way forward, the best way forward, would be for them to partner with a local church uh, that was uh, maybe more healthier at the moment. And so we began to think about what would it look like for us to join forces, and the Lord has led in that direction as we've been discussing things with leaders. And so this church is going to become a city like D.C., and we'll have a public relaunch on January 31st. So that is really awesome and exciting news. Yeah, you can clap for that. This is good. This is good. So on January 31st, uh, Dale is still being the interim pastor, and we're uh, asking the Lord to lead and discern on our steps forward. But we know he has been leading in this way. And let, me, let, me, let me show you something that I want you to write down as we think about, okay, if we know these things are true, then what do we do as a church? How do we strategize and use what God has given us to do what we think he wants us to do? And this is very simple, okay? We need a strategic effort to plant and build local community center churches. Why? To create more places where more people are extraordinarily committed to ordinary things. You see what I'm saying? So we right here, extraordinarily committed to ordinary acts of obedience, and we've seen some incredible fruit around here from that. So praise God for that. Now, what can we do to spread it out so there's more pockets where people are extraordinarily committed to ordinary things? How can we take what God is doing here and leverage it somewhere else so that there's people over there in the city in D.C., and there's people over there in the corner of Annandale, there's people over there in Bay's Cross. How can we do that so that there's more people extraordinarily committed to ordinary things? Because we simply cannot not do all the work from this one location. We've talked about that from the beginning, that our vision is to plant community-centered churches, because that's what you need to be able to take the gospel to all the corners of our city, and especially the world around us. That is the only way a movement really happens. And so as we seek the Lord on that, we were committed to that from the beginning. God brought this opportunity that we weren't even thinking about or pursuing. The Lord made it clear this was the way forward. And so as of January 31st, that will be a city light church in D.C. We'll have local leadership, local teaching, and all that. It's going to be an amazing thing. We're going to partner with a shared identity, shared resources, and shared mission and vision. And it's going to be a great thing. But God has also been opening doors to turn what we call outreach into possible church planning efforts. And so for us to say, man, we can visit a community once every month and bless that community with the gospel and with some shared goods and all of that. Or, and we can do that, you know, forever. Or we could think about, man, how can we take what God has been doing in this particular community, maybe 15 minutes down the road, and provide some real centralized local support so that that thing can turn into a church with a group of people that are extraordinarily committed to ordinary acts of obedience. And then what could God do? What could God do if those things were spread out all over the place? What could God do? You think with me here? What could God do if that turned into something? What could God do with that? What would that look like? And for us to be driven by that, to say we care about all these people in all these places. We care about their physical needs. We care about their spiritual needs. And we know the real need they have is a relationship with Jesus. And so we want to minister to them, and we want to do so in as many places as possible. And so God is orchestrating something that we could not plan and orchestrate ourselves. I'm just telling you from my seat and the things that I know and the things that I see that God is so on the move. I can't even explain it to you how much God is on the move. And for us to join him in that and to say, oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we as City Light Church will be extraordinarily committed to ordinary acts of obedience. We will pray, we will read our Bibles, we will teach the Bible, and we will share the gospel. And on that, we will spread that out to as many people as possible. And through all of that, we're going to pray, God, I've seen you part the Red Seas. I've seen you deliver your people. I've seen you move and save cities. I've seen you work amongst millions. I've seen you take one person and change an entire country. I've seen you do it, Lord. So in our time, in our day, in this city, would you do it again? 
and to be driven by that, to be driven by that. Say, I'm going to give my life to this, my time, my city, my house, my home, my heart, my neighborhood, and our church. Lord, do it again, do it again, do it again. I will not settle in. I will lean in. I will not settle in. I will lean in. I will not expect less. I will expect more, and I will be driven by a passion for the glory of God in all nations, here in Falls Church, and around the DMV, and all the way to the ends of the globe, and I will spend my life for that. I'm telling you, I've already seen it. You guys are already there. God has used you to do what he's already doing. I just want you to take that, put it in a little bottle, and say, if God takes the passion that we brought to the table so far, and the group of people that we brought to the table so far, and has done all the things we've seen him do, man, you just have to dream with me. What could be next? What could happen? And so for us to be driven by that, to be passionate about that, and for that to be a shared burden, not a leadership burden, not a staff burden, a shared burden. To say each one of us fostering a passion for the Lord, each one of us burdened for souls, each one of us consistently sharing the gospel, each one of us devoted to the word of God, each one of us believing that prayer is the word, each one of us giving our lives to the thing that matters the most and not getting caught up in all the craziness in the world around us. And if God takes each one of us and helps us do that, I can't even fathom the types of things that God would do. And so let's give our lives to it. And let's let God revive the work and bring an awakening here, now, in our time. Let me pray for us. Would you join me in asking the Lord for this? God, we love you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gospel. What good news, Lord, that you love us in spite of ourselves. God, we thank you that you save us in spite of ourselves. We thank you for the good news that no matter how far someone may be from God, they're not too far for you. And so we just pray. We pray for those in this church right now that may not know you, Lord, that you would awaken their hearts to the reality of your love for them, what you've done on the cross to pay for their sins, what you've done in the resurrection to declare victory over the grave, that they do not have to fear death. We pray that you would bring an awakening in their hearts, repentance and faith today. And we just ask for our neighbors and our community, Lord, for the students at Falls Church High School, Graham Road Elementary, for the teachers and staff, for the local business persons, Lord, all the people doing their things on their daily basis. We pray for an awakening in their hearts, God. Pray that you give us boldness to find them and to share the gospel with them, Lord. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray that you would save them from destruction and from the pit of hell and that you would give them eternal life in your name. That's what we're here to do, Lord. And so, God, give us a passion for these things, Lord. Bother us with these things, God. Give us a devotion to you. Would you increase our love and devotion to you? May we burn for this, Lord, as a people, And we ask that you would revive it, God, that you would do what only you can do in this time, in this city, in our church, in this world, Lord, as the time that we are alive, that you would do things that we've heard about. We pray that we'll see it with our own eyes. And so, Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.